Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Doing good. We're back good. at it. I mean, yeah, we are. You know. Yeah. Well, we're doing yourself on the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So we don't really have anything exciting to announce. It's just the middle of January now. That's just not an exciting time. Are you a calendar now? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Sometimes some parts of the year are more exciting. This is not yeah. one of them. We don't have anything to say, so we're just going to get right into um, <laughs> the episode. <laughs> right? Yeah, do it. With, okay. with that glowing endorsement, let's do it. All right. So lately, I have been spending a lot more time reading about murders that happened in the 60s and 70s, and I spent some time going down the... Uh, Charles Manson rabbit hole. I will spare all of you um, the details about what I have learned in my studies, especially you, Melissa, because I think you would probably reach through and strangle me right through your screen. But in the process of going through all of that, 
I stumbled upon this week's story, and it took place around the same time that Charles Manson was on trial and has some similarities and maybe a potential connection. So I thought this one might be an interesting one for us to talk about. And it is the story of who became known as the Killer Prophet, a man whose twisted crime shook Santa Cruz, California in 1970 and took the lives of nearly an entire family. But before we get into the story, we're going to tell you a little bit about where it took place in this week's segment of We Googled This City. So Santa Cruz is located on the Pacific coast of California, just south of the San Francisco Bay Area, and has a population of around 250,000 people. Santa Cruz is home to the still popular Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, which is the country's oldest amusement park and has been operating continuously since 1915. It still has a running 1924 wooden giant dipper roller coaster. I would not get on that. You could not pay me to get on that. And a carousel built in 1911. I'm convinced this place is haunted just around the clock. That's 1915. What is a wooden giant dipper roller coaster? That's a very specific (laughs) name. Sounds like something that would not be up to code in 2019. (laughs) They're just giving that a pass. They're like, this is historical, but you're going to die. So Santa Cruz is also home to one of my favorite actors, Adam Scott, a.k.a. Benjamin Wyatt from Parks and Rec. He starred in Party Down in tons of movies like Step Brothers and Knocked Up. Mandy, you've seen or heard of those at least. I have. I have. That's like, is this the first time I've ever heard of something that you've mentioned? Listen, I was like, what else has he been in? He has been in everything. Mandy had to have seen something. So I thought I would pique your interest with at least those two. (laughs) Yeah. But Santa Cruz is not the home to Calzones, which is a little joke for the Parks and Recs peep. But Santa Cruz has something called the Mystery Spot, which is located deep in the Redwood Forest. And in this spot, there's this magnetic field. And it's so far off, like um, if you put a ball there, like it'll roll uphill instead of going down. And there's this like weird gravitational pull. So it makes it actually hard to walk. And people report having a case of the dizzies, which is what I always call if I'm dizzy, that I have a case of the dizzies, while they visit, yet they still go um, after feeling physically ill. And doesn't this just seem like a place you could just watch a video of? Like, do you have to go to this place? Yeah. Like, can you just watch somebody <laughs> put a ball and roll up like if it makes you physically ill? And also, haven't we seen Chris Angel do this sort of thing? And like <laughs> nobody even cares about it and you're not left feeling dizzy unless you just stare into his eyeliner a little bit too long. <laughs> so this place sounds like a real mind freak. This is not my best week. Continue, Mandy. My gosh. (laughs) So in the early 1960s, Santa Cruz was mostly a peaceful and easygoing town. As Melissa said, the boardwalk and uh, the beach really provided a tourist industry. But at that time, there wasn't really a lot else going on there. In the mid-60s, the University of California campus was built in Santa Cruz, and it became a haven for those seeking an alternative lifestyle and new political trends. So uh, University of California became somewhat of a mecca for progressive politics at the time, and there was a very heavy focus on the liberal arts and not as much on industrial development. So UC also had this pass or fail grading system and gave out verbal evaluations instead of letter grades which appealed to the idealistic students of that time, a.k.a. hippies. 
Melissa, there were hippies. <laughs> On Arrested Development, the girl maybe she ends up going to a very a school very similar to this, and she gets like an alligator in math. <laughs> like those are, yeah. <laughs> they're like, I know you weren't doing well because you got an alligator in math, and so that's what this feels like to me. Yeah, that seems like it tracks. So Santa Cruz quickly became a central West Coast base for the rising hippie counterculture. And if it weren't for the founding of UC at that exact moment in time, the activist culture probably would not have developed there at all. But the quaintness of the area attracted Dr. Victor Oda and his wife, Virginia. Uh, Victor was the son of a Japanese immigrant farmer and had come from kind of a poor family and had just really made a way for himself. He attended Northwestern University as a medical student and joined the Air Force in 1954, where he earned the rank of major. Virginia was Czechoslovakian and also had come from a poor family. The couple could both be described as friendly, outgoing, kind, and gentle. Together, they had four children, two sons named Derek and Tag, and two daughters named Lark and Tara. The couple relocated their family to Santa Cruz after Victor was discharged from the Air Force in 1960. Dr. Oda became a prominent figure in the community and was well-known in Santa Cruz as well as other areas of California. He was one of the very best ophthalmologists and eye surgeons in the county and was very well-liked by all of his patients. Not only did he have an excellent reputation as a doctor, but he was also a notable citizen and friend. Virginia didn't have to work thanks to the huge success of her husband's practice, but she sang in her local choir and modeled gowns for fashion shows as a hobby. I loved pictures that I saw of her where it was just like, a sign of the times where people would just get very dressed up and, you know, I wear yeah. like yoga pants everywhere and she would like dress proper, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's actually one of the funny things. Her daughter, Lark, had said in a documentary that her mom was just very stylish and, and beautiful. And she made a comment that um, that's she said she guessed that's just how moms were at the time. And it made me very glad that I didn't live in that time because I would not have fit in. I know, I just ate a Cheeto off my shirt when she finished that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Oda lavished his family with nice things, and he bought his wife expensive jewelry and silk scarves for himself that he wore in place of ties. The Oda children went to private schools, and these private schools had very high tuition rates. Victor also owned a Rolls Royce, which was just one of his many vehicles. Out of all the exorbitant belongings the fam family owned, their most prized possession was the custom home that Dr. Oda built in the Santa Cruz foothills, overlooking Monterey Bay. Virginia hand-wove the fabrics found in the home on a loom, and the family made the place exactly as they wanted it. And I, this house had the coolest, like, uh, the windows and everything were amazing. Just, it ended up being, like, a custom home they built into the landscape without cutting down any trees or disturbing any of the natural surroundings. But this home had just, like, floor-to-wall or I'm sorry, floor-to-ceiling, like, windows. It was just gorgeous and open and just had this really amazing view. And it was what they created exactly what they wanted to have there. While the family was living their perfect dream, their lifestyle caught the eye of a 24-year-old hippie that lived in the woods near the peaceful home. John Lindley Frazier was a 24-year-old flower child who had a rough upbringing. He was born in Ohio in 1946 to parents who had a rocky relationship and separated when he was two years old. His mother couldn't care for him following the separation, and John was placed into foster care. From that point on, his childhood was extremely unstable, and he had a hard time coping with um, the negative feelings such as frustration and disappointment. 
He frequently found himself in trouble and was in juvenile detention as a teenager, but by the time he reached his early 20s, he had settled down a little bit and got married to a woman named Dolores and had a baby girl with her. He appeared to enjoy his life as a father and a husband and worked hard at an auto repair shop where his boss said that he was a highly skilled mechanic and was one of the best employees. But things began to change shortly after. When he was still in his early 20s, John began to experiment with some of the drugs that were popular at the time. He would smoke pot, he took pills, and he also did LSD on a regular basis. After a car accident, he became deeply religious and started taking his Bible with him everywhere he went. And he really was focusing a lot on studying the book of Revelation. And so when he would take these drugs, especially LSD, he believed that God was speaking directly to him. And he had himself convinced that he was the John in the book of Revelation and that he had been chosen by God to save the environment and rid the earth of materialists and those who were destroying the planet. So during this time, John became more and more delusional and would frequently leave his wife and daughter at home to disappear off into the woods for two to three days at a time. And although his wife said that he was never mean or abusive to her or their child, his demeanor and behavior had just shifted and become really, really strange. In 1970, the erratic behavior intensified and John quit his job telling his boss that he could no longer participate in the destruction of the environment. He himself even gave up driving a car. On July 4th of that year, John completely detached from his family. He left his wife and daughter to go live in the woods in a rundown cow shed near his mother's home, where things quickly spiraled even further out of control. In addition to obsessing over the book of Revelation, John also began to fixate on the occult, numerology, and levitation. He began focusing more on the apocalyptic parts of Revelation. Neighbors and friends and fellow hippies took notice of John's odd behavior. John made no secret of his distaste for the materialist and specifically made mention of the Ota family to one friend. He said that people, quote, like that should be, quote, snuffed out. He believed the Otas were abusing the natural environment. And this was right on the heels of the Manson cult murders that left seven people dead and really changed the way Californians viewed hippies and the hippie culture. Instead of the peace and love vibe, People were fearful of the long hairs and kind of thought they were just murderous, drug-addicted devil worshipers. My dad, actually, when he and my mom were dating, he had, like, really long hair. You've met my dad, but he had, like, really long Greg Allman-style hair. And he got pulled over a few times where the police would, like, say to my mom, like, do your parents know you're with this guy? Like, it was all during this time, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, they should have been concerned because – I mean, my dad's a wonderful man. Gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Don't they listen to the show? Jeez. (laughs) My mom does. I'm sorry, mom. Blink twice if you're okay. So his obsession with the Oda family grew, and he eventually broke into their hilltop mansion when they weren't home. He stole a pair of binoculars, which he used to spy on them from his shanty in the woods, which was less than a mile away. While inside the home, he was rummaging through the family's things, and he saw what he thought was a real leopard skin blanket, and that made him so enraged. Um, The blanket was actually fake, but he believed it was leopard, and therefore they were destroying, you know, more things, and he was even more enraged. John also patrolled the woods near his shack with a gun, which really scared anyone that was living nearby. And neighbors that lived in the area were really, you know, bothered by John and knew that there was something kind of off about him and the way he spoke and really the just the look in his eyes. 
As his delusions grew, his wife and mom pleaded with him to seek help, but John took these pleas as personal attacks and believed that the attempts to get him therapy were some sort of conspiracy against him and the mission he was set out to do. John was exhibiting signs of schizophrenia, which commonly does not show up until adolescence or young adulthood. Schizophrenia is a thought disorder that hinders a person's ability to manage emotions and to relate to others. Before the onset of schizophrenia, there is a prodromal period where the person's behaviors and actions become very strange and unexplainable to those around them. Withdrawing and isolating themselves is a very common occurrence. Individual, individuals with schizophrenia commonly have delusions and hallucinations that are very real to them and that cannot be changed by presenting them with the truth. There are many possible causes for schizophrenia, including genetics, the individual's environment, their brain chemistry, and substance abuse, which we know John was dealing with at this point. In mid-October of 1970, John told his wife that in order for him to fulfill his destiny, some materialist must have to die. Then on October 19th, John set in motion a chain of events that would go down as one of the most monstrous crimes in Santa Cruz history. And we will get right back to this story after a quick word from this week's sponsors. Mandy and I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Myro. Myro is a deodorant company that's making deodorant better, like 10 times better. It's not the regular old drugstore stuff you get because Myro is a deodorant you can feel great about wearing and buying. They make their natural deodorant with a custom blend of essential oils that release over time to keep you fresh and barley powder to keep you dry. Here's how Myro works. First, you choose a scent from four amazing choices, including my favorite, Chill Wave, which is the perfect combination of cucumber, jasmine, and spearmint. You also get to choose the color of the container, which makes it a more personalized experience. Plus, you won't get your deodorant confused with anyone else's in the house. Once you've placed your order, you'll get a refresh every three months delivered straight to your door, conveniently timed for when most people run out. You can switch scents, press pause, or stop anytime you want. Their formula is hardworking, long-lasting, with no toxic anything. There's 0% aluminum and 0% parabens. Their ingredients are clinically tested for both safety and efficacy. This is super important to me as my daughter is now at the age of needing deodorant, so I want her to start off with a deodorant I can feel good about her putting on her skin, and she can also have a fun container and customized scent just for her. Myra delivers obsession-worthy, naturally effective deodorant that looks as good as it smells. Get 50% off your first order and get started today for just $5. Visit mymyro.com slash momsandmurder and use promo code momsandmurder. Again, for 50% off your first order and to get started today for $5, visit mymyro.com slash momsandmurder and use code momsandmurder. You guys know that I get my eggs from my chickens, but I still have to leave my house to get the rest of my groceries. Do you know what I could be doing with all the time it takes me to load the kids in the car, navigate traffic, get into the store, avoid anyone I have known in my entire life, and beg my kids not to touch everything? Well, for starters, I could breathe or read a book or learn a new language. Basically, I could really live. And that's why we love Instacart. Instacart is a super easy grocery delivery service. So easy, in fact, you could do it all while making your kids their 10th snack before noon. Instacart delivers in as little as one hour or at a time that works with your schedule. Instacart has exclusive coupons and you can save money with the coupons on pantry staples. Here's how it works. You can download the Instacart app or go to instacart.com and shop the groceries you need from your favorite local retailers. 
The Instacart shopper shops for you, leaving you time to make the 20th snack for your kids. The shopper will gather your groceries with care by selecting excellent produce and they will contact you if necessary. And they'll keep the hot items hot and your cold items cold and deliver them right to your door. We're two weeks into 2019 and I'm already exhausted. Try Instacart to get free delivery on your first order. To get this limited time offer, go to instacart.com or download the mobile app and enter our promo code MOMS. Get your free Instacart delivery today at instacart.com or download the mobile app and don't forget to enter our code MOMS. That's instacart.com or through the mobile app with our code MOMS. Getting married can be one of the most exciting moments of your life. So why does the planning feel like such a hassle? While our friends at Zola can't get your in-laws to arrive to the ceremony on time, they can take the stress out of wedding planning with their free wedding websites, wedding registry, affordable save-the-date cards and invitations, as well as easy-to-use planning tools. Zola is the easiest way to plan your wedding. You start with a free wedding website that is so simple, it takes just minutes to set up. Choose from over 100 different wedding website designs that are sure to be just as unique as you and your future spouse. You can even add photos, travel and accommodation information. There's also a frequently asked questions section that helps address those questions that make you squirm, such as, can I bring my kids or the dreaded, do I have a plus one? One thing I really love about Zola is not only can you develop this beautiful wedding website, but you can link to your dream registry with Zola. Gone are the days of sending Nana to three different stores and hoping she finds one of the gifts you really want. Now you can send them a link to your Zola website and registry, and it's all conveniently in one place. The Zola store has the widest selection of gifts at all different price points. There's also free shipping and returns, price matching, and more. You can also create a funds for your honeymoon or future home or really anything you might need on your new journey as a married couple. This is something I would have loved to have had when I was getting married. When we were actually driving to go get on our cruise for our honeymoon, I was opening envelopes and hoping cash would just fall out on our way there. Having fun set aside as gifts would have been so awesome, and it's really such a fun thing to gift someone. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to zola.com slash moms. That's zola.com slash moms to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry. And now back to the show. So at this point, we have been introduced to this guy, John Lindley Frazier, and he's been living in the woods near the Oda family estate for several months, just spying on them and growing more and more angry with what he perceived were their materialistic ways. He is suffering from delusions and believes that he has been chosen by God to save the planet by ridding the earth of pollutants and people who are abusing the environment. Then on October 19, 1970, John acted on his delusions. He made his way from his shack in the woods to the Oda Dream Home and led himself inside, where he encountered Virginia and one of her sons. John tied the two of them up with silk scarves and waited for the rest of the family to return home. A short time later, Dr. Oda's secretary, Dorothy, who was like a family member to the Odas and had two children of her own, arrived at the home with the older Oda son after picking him up from school. The two of them were also bound with scarves and made to wait for Dr. Oda to arrive, all while lecturing his captors on the evils of their consumerist ways. When the doctor arrived, he was bound with his hands behind his back, and John attempted to persuade him to join God's army and change his ways, even insisting that the doctor participate in burning down his own mansion. Obviously, Dr. Oda believed he was dealing with a very sick man, and he refused to do any such thing as burn down his family dream home that they had worked so hard to build. 
Um, in the scuffle, John took Dr. Oda to the backyard and pushed him into the family pool and then proceeded to use the skimmer um, to hold him underwater as kind of a form of torture and to, you know, I hopefully manipulate him into doing uh, what he wanted him to do. So each time John would let Dr. Oda up for air, he would give him another opportunity to join him and set the house ablaze. After a while, John believed that he had finally convinced the doctor to go along with him, and he reached down a hand to help him out of the water. But it was just a trick, and when Dr. Oda tried to pull John into the pool with him, he actually did not succeed, and John pulled out the pistol that he had brought along and shot the doctor four times. John then went back inside the home and ushered the two women out to the pool where he executed them both. At this point in the story, John had some internal conflict over what to do about the two Oda sons. He said that he argued with God about why the children had to die and that they were innocent, but he believed that God insisted that the boys must also be killed, and so they tragically suffered the same fate as the three victims before them. All five of the victims were dumped in the pool before John went back into the house and ignited a fire. The two Oda daughters were away at boarding school, completely unaware of the horror that had just befallen their entire family. Once the fire was set, John went outside and moved the doctor's Rolls Royce in a Lincoln Continental and parked them on the road in such a way that it would block emergency personnel from accessing the property. He then took off in the Oda family station wagon. So now he can drive a car when it's convenient for him? He just hops yeah. in a car and drives away? Like, really? I feel like this is not a part of your whole think like yeah shouldn't you stick to it the entire way so nearby residents saw the smoke billowing from the hilltop and called in the fire department since the roadway had been blocked and firefighters couldn't actually drive up to the burning home they walked up and were told by the fire chief to bring a hose line up onto the roof to extinguish the fires so they initially believed that the home was empty and that no one had been injured but while they were extinguishing the fire the fire chief had an idea that they could actually tap into the pool for water and that's when they made the chilling discovery of the five bodies floating in the pool. The scene was super creepy and confusing, and there was really little in the way of clues as to what had happened in the home, but investigators did find one thing, which was a note tucked under the windshield wiper of one of the vehicles parked on the driveway. And on the note, it said, quote, Today, World War III will begin as brought to you by the people of the free universe. From this day forward, anyone or company of persons who misuses the natural environment or destroys same will suffer the penalty of death by the people of the free universe. I and my comrades from this day forth will fight until death or freedom against any single one who does not support natural life on this planet. Materialism must die or mankind will. The note was signed by Knights of Wands, Knights of Cups, Knights, Knights of Pentacles, and Knights of Swords. Police believed that they had another Manson-esque cult on the loose and fear once again descended on the residents of California. I'd like to take a moment and just say, we live in Florida, Mandy. We have a lot of Florida man things. We never thought a bunch of cults were chasing after us. California had a couple of these kind of situations and we never want to talk about this. It's all about yeah. Florida and our, <laughs> you know, and our Florida men. Investigators really didn't have any leads and there were no witnesses that had actually seen anything strange at the Oda home that day. The next day, though, the station wagon was actually found in a railway tunnel after a train had come through and smashed into it. When police arrived at the tunnel, the vehicle was still warm, which led them to believe that the suspect had to be close by and without a vehicle. So <laughs> they're very close, you know, and they're in that vicinity. 
Many law enforcement agencies worked together to create a perimeter to search. They even had helicopters in the sky searching the dense redwood forest from above. The massive search turned up absolutely nothing, and panic spread throughout the community. When one man named Roger Crone got wind of the details of the grisly murders and heard about the note left at the scene, he contacted the police with a tip. Roger was another hippie who lived a quiet life near the shack that John Frazier had been living in. He told police about his strange neighbor that had frequently been heard talking about killing off uh, materialistic people. He told police that John was very somber and skeptical and paranoid and that he gave everyone in the area a bad vibe and that John was as close to a survivalist as you could get living off the land for the last several months as a recluse. The sheriff's office put together a team and made a plan to apprehend John. They had no idea what they would encounter when they approached the cow shed that he called his home and knew that they couldn't make any mistakes. They know that he's armed. They know that he's capable of committing murder, so they have to be extremely careful. They traipsed through the woods and up a ravine and came upon a sketchy-looking bridge that led to John's home. But when they got there, they realized that it was empty and John was nowhere to be found. Can we talk about this bridge for a minute? Yeah, this, yeah. Talk about this bridge. bridge was um, insane. They were like, basically, to get across this, they have no idea where this guy is. And um, to get across this bridge, one of them needed to cover the other one. So like they needed to make sure no one's shooting him. It, but like as you walked on this like man-made bridge, all bridges are man-made, so I really misspoke there. But as you walked across this... <laughs> Um, your foot would just go through the panels. So you have no idea. And this guy is like, you know, clearly has plans and stuff and you don't know what he's capable of. And did he booby trap the whole thing where you're going to fall through? What's going to happen? But they're like covering each other to go across, which I just thought like, how terrifying. And the one guy said, I don't know how I ended up being the first one across, but I was, Yeah, you know, <laughs> and then they're, and then he has to cover his friend going or, you know, or his partner going across. But I just found that fascinating that they just, they're in the middle of the woods. They have no idea what's going on, no idea where he is. And like, it's the two of them against whatever this guy's planning. They just have no idea. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. 
Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. So the two deputies staked out the property that night. Um, They actually set up some booby traps of their own made out of twigs on this path up to this shack. So they would be able to tell if anyone had been through the path or on the bridge during the night. So these were like very basic, simple things. Like they would set some sticks up on the path so that if anybody were to walk through, they, you know, they wouldn't know, but they would be kicking over these, you know, traps that yeah. were set. I didn't even understand how that would work exactly. Cause they're like, we take two twigs and put them together. I'm like, hang on. <laughs> but how yeah. would you know? Well, I, I didn't. <laughs> how I know, but how I didn't know how they would know, because I feel like if you're in the middle of the redwood forest, it's going to be just nothing but sticks and twigs everywhere. So how do you right. know? I don't know. <laughs> That's the one that got knocked over. No, a wind came through. How do you know? I I couldn't figure that out either. Well, once again, I've said it before and I will say it again. This is why I am not in law enforcement. (laughs) In the morning, the officers noticed that the traps had been set off and they believed that John had returned to the shed. So, of course, their adrenaline is going. They are thinking like, oh, my gosh. Well, and then I was wondering because – I'm sure they barely slept, but I don't I don't I didn't understand how they missed him coming over the rickety bridge and going (laughs) into the shed. (laughs) That's totally true, because it was not like (laughs) there's no just like sneaking in through the, you know, back driveway or anything. You have to cross a bridge, possibly pay a troll. I don't even know. There was just so much going on with this bridge, like for them to, to miss it. I was like, guys, what? what were you doing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, obviously there was other ways and this guy was super smart and knew the land and everything, but it was pretty amazing that he managed to make it there while they are there on the property right next to it. Right. So the officers carefully and quietly approached the door to the shed and flung it open. They immediately noticed that there were some sleeping bags and blankets in the middle of the floor that had not been there the day before. So one of the officers held a shotgun while the other one yanked the blankets back to find John Frazier sleeping under it. When John realized that these are police officers and they have him at gunpoint, he looked up at them and smiled and said, why don't you give me what I deserve? And one of the officers in the documentary show that we watched had said, like, you know, sometimes that thought does cross their minds. But of course, that's not their job. You know, they're not the ones to deliver judgment and punishment and all of that. Like they just have to bring them in. John was apprehended without incident just four days after the murders. Police found the stolen binoculars, a watch that belonged to one of the Otis sons and a 45 caliber pistol. But the gun that was used in the murders was never found. A year later in October of 1971, John's trial began. Even though there was overwhelming evidence that he had actually committed the crime, there was a concern that he could be judged as insane and would spend his life in a psychiatric hospital instead of in prison. On the first day of the trial, when John was brought into the courtroom, he had actually shaved off half his head and like his eyebrows and left the hair on the other side. John was completely stoic in the courtroom and hardly showed any emotion at all. He stated that he would he would prefer to be sentenced to death than to be sent to a, quote, 
fascist head factory and that he did not want to be found insane. So there was a psychiatrist, I think it was a psychiatrist in this thing that we watched, that talked about he wanted to act insane. I'm using her words. He wanted to act insane so he would not be found insane. Like he... I didn't understand that. And like, because that was the whole thing with uh, like shaving half of his head and face. Like they were like, oh, this like makes him look, you know, this supports the insanity defense. And then they eventually had him just like shave all of it like his defense attorneys did. So the jury deemed him sane and he was sentenced to death. But in 1972, California abolished capital punishment and John's sentence was commuted to life at the Mule Creek State Prison Facility. Sadly, the tragedies did not end for the Oda family after the slayings. In 1977, just a few years after this tragedy, Tara Oda, who had been suffering from extreme depression since the loss of her family, actually ended her life by carbon monoxide poisoning in her car inside of her mother-in-law's garage. She was just 25 at the time of her death. Two years later, Dr. Oda's mother sadly took her own life as well. The only surviving member of the Oda family is Lark, who now lives a quiet life with her family. John Frazier was what the prison officials considered a model inmate during his time incarceration. It actually took them by surprise when he was found hanging in his jail cell on August 13, 2009. Frazier was the first mass murder in what would be a long run for the state of California, followed by the other infamous murders committed by Herbert Mullen and Ed Kemper in the early 70s. So we are going to switch gears here because obviously this was a very heavy case, and we are going to do a couple last things before we go. These are coming from our dear friend, and mayonnaise enthusiast, Miss Polity from our Facebook. And I love calling her Polity. Um, I do too. I call her that. Like, that's what I say when I think of her. I call her Polity. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, just exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. So her first question was, Mandy, what habit do you have that annoys your husband? So many. Right? It's a very loaded question, Paula. <laughs> So I, okay, so I know there's like memes and stuff about this where it's, but it's usually in reverse and it's usually like women saying like their husbands can't locate anything right in front of their face. But that is actually me in my relationship. I will like ask my husband where something is and he'll be like, oh, it's over there. And I will go over there and like (laughs) two seconds later, just be like, I can't find it. And then he will come and find it immediately. And so I'm sure that is very annoying. Is there anything else, Mandy? I think there is, but let's hear yours. So I actually messaged my husband before we started to ask, and apparently he just was ready and he's been waiting his whole life to tell me all of these. So one is that um, I leave my Diet Coke stuff like all over the house. I just like need a drink in every room. Why do I have headaches? No idea. Probably not from all the yeah. caffeine I drink. Um, and, and then he said, let me know if you need more. Okay. He claims this is one, but this is a lie. It's a bold faced lie. He says, I load the dishwasher with bowls and cups upright. That's not even true. Nobody in this house loads any dishes. Like he says, I like flip them over. So like the thing you're not supposed to do, you know how you like, Fold, not fold. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing. Flip the bowl over. <laughs> and so do you do that? I don't, but sometimes I like cram stuff in there. So sometimes they kind of get like half flipped. And I'm the only one running the dishwasher around here. Who cares? I'm the one that has to deal with it. That's how I feel. Yeah. So <laughs> sticking it to the man. And the other thing he did not say, but I know drives him crazy. I have the worst habit of like 
opening things but not closing them all the way. So like I'll half open a cabinet and it never, I didn't care, but now my daughter does it and it drives me bonkers. But whenever I do it, it's like a cute little thing that I'm so fun and (laughs) look at me being adorable. He hates it. (laughs) And now that my daughter hates it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is giving me like a rage stroke. I cannot deal with it. So I'm delightful to live with, but you know, apparently there's a few things. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure there's more things about me that are annoying. Do I get to listen <laughs> or is this just him? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Another thing I do, and like he would never say that this is annoying, but I think if I was him, I would be annoyed. But I am also the kind of wife who's like, I have no problem being like telling my husband to go out to the store for me at like odd times like my every night (laughs) like like as soon as we're done recording I'm gonna beg him to go get me chocolate ice cream that's probably annoying because I do it fairly regularly and he literally never says no he is the nicest best husband ever so I do have to give him credit for that he's probably annoyed by it but he never lets it show there you go he's just biting his lip until it bleeds but you know it's fine (laughs) (laughs) that's very nice and to be fair my husband will do that kind of thing if I ask him but he I but like at a certain point at night he's like no you're fine (laughs) yeah if I ask him now he's gonna be like not gonna happen Mandy next one I like this one too what are some of your favorite simple pleasures so not guilty pleasures but stuff Paula this is your word so I get to say it not guilty pleasures but stuff like the feeling of the first sip of coffee or the relief you get when you finally pick out a wedgie keeping it classy in 2019 Paula Paula D I don't know. Okay, so washing my face is one thing that I like just love that feeling of having like cool water. You know what I mean? Have you ever I've you never washed my face. <laughs> <laughs> this is an amazing sensation. I'm going to definitely try it so, after this. <laughs> no, like I like cuz I don't wash my face with hot water. I like cool water. No. Just, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is the best feeling. Brushing my teeth. I love having freshly brushed brushed teeth um I I don't know I don't have I mean it's hard to think of them on the spot I have a lot of things I really enjoy you know like (laughs) ice water (laughs) you know you know Melissa I have to have cold water that is the most annoying thing in the world to me (laughs) it is the most Mariah Carey thing that you just have to have cold water do you not have sensitive teeth I have like old people sensitive teeth I cannot drink cold water or ice oh the idea of ice like hitting my teeth, I think they would all break. I just seem too sensitive. <laughs> well, I'm not like bashing my teeth with ice. I apparently just don't know how to wash my face or drink water. <laughs> a glass of ice water. Um, another favorite simple pleasure, ripping off my socks. Melissa, here we go with the socks again. I'm going to make sure that you get rid of your socks this year. So It's amazing. Can I tell you? That's a great feeling. Here's part of why I like sleeping with socks. Because if I wake up at all in the middle of the night, I'll just quickly take my socks off. Totally refreshing feeling. I love it. It's it's so – that's a good one for me. That is a very simple pleasure. But you have to start with them on because how can you enjoy it if you don't first have a little bit of pain? (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Um, I'm trying to think of more. There's so many. Oh, My favorite thing is at the end of the night when my kids go to bed and I just go out and sit on the couch and for just like five seconds, no one is talking to me. And then my husband starts talking. So, but But then you send him to the store to get ice cream. So you're good. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like that. So at our new house, we have um, like um, our little living room area and we, we have this chase lounge. I'm never going to say that right, but it's kind of that Cleopatra lounge thing. And that's like, I love that too. Like at night now when my kids are down, I'll sit there and work and I just feel like I'm in my own little world and it's quiet and no one's going to ask me anything. They're still yelling from their rooms for things. So it's not over, but for like two minutes at a time, I feel like yeah. the castle. It's amazing. Um, obviously the first sip of Diet Coke is like the best thing. If you get like a fountain drink, that's amazing. I don't know. I feel like my life has no pleasure. I don't really. Um, I know I'm struggling. Okay. If we're doing like food and drink items, you know how much I love Chipotle. That first yeah, bite yeah. of Chipotle is like the best. And the last bite also somehow is the best. I don't know how that works. Yeah. No, that one's a real, a real thing. I don't know what mm, word I was going to say. Uh, humdinger is humdinger a word that would work. <laughs> I kept trying to talk myself out of it, but my brain was like, no, nope, like you're doing it. Mind twister? Yes. I don't something know. like that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think that might be, yeah, I don't really, I feel like I need to get out more based on this. Oh, or like when <laughs> Me you, too. When I hear the off music from the office, I'm immediately excited. Or whenever I hear a song I haven't heard in a long time and like you recognize it on the radio, like, like you haven't heard it in forever and it's like a song from high school or something. That's always like super exciting. I don't know if that counts, but- I love that. Yeah, like, and you recognize so. it and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This, you know, I love this song for whatever reason. Totally. Yes, for sure. Those are mine. Pretty boring. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I think we're both pretty boring. Yeah. Oh yeah. Honestly, we'll just be boring together. I'm, I mean, it's, it was a good question. I just feel like we are not good people to answer. I it. know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was it. Know your audience, Paula. <laughs> just <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> No, thank you. So if that's your first time listening to a last thing before we go, we try and break up the stories of murder uh, with something lighthearted at the end. So stick around when you want to. Skip it when you want to. We will never know unless you tell us. And you don't have to tell us. It's okay. We don't need to know. (laughs) No, we sure don't. (laughs) So that is our episode for the week. And if you're looking for bonus content, if this is just not enough moms for you, um, head over to patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. And we are going to be recording something on the story of Aaron Hernandez this month. Hopefully we'll get that up earlier in the month, but we have until the end of the month. Don't think we won't wait till the very last minute. (laughs) So we will keep you guys updated on that. There's other perks as well. Thank you guys for supporting us on there. Um, Mandy, anything, anything else, anything we could have possibly missed? I don't think so. I think we covered it all. And nothing at all. Thank you, guys. And we'll (laughs) see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com, where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars, because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.